the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The book of Revelation, in this book, the Son of Man is the Son of Man. S-U-N. He is the white, hot heat of the manifestation of the love of God. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. The Son, S-U-N, of Man is today's broadcast, and we'll bring you the first portion of that message here today. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast. I'll have information on how you can attend the worship service in person if you would like. You can also attend anytime online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko with the first portion of the Son of Man. Today's Reaching Your Heart. Dear Father, I am grateful today that the vision of Jesus is exactly what we need. I am grateful, Father, that no human theory, that no systematic theology, that no attempt of human tradition can equal the magnificent vision of Jesus in the book of Revelation. And Father, we didn't come here today for human opinion. We didn't come here today to hear something new and profound from a mind that was created. We came here, Father, to interface with the mind of God and the face of Jesus Christ, the living Word of God. And fathers, I am clay, I am not eloquent, and I am not profound. But Lord, I know Jesus is. And I pray that the Word of God in the book of Revelation today will be a revelation of Jesus Christ for the soul that needs Him. Lord, we care about the teachings of our church, but we care more about Jesus. We want the teachings of the church that are biblical to be wrapped around the person of the living Christ. So bless us and renew us in Jesus. In his name, amen. You know, solar weather is being studied today with a new urgency because scientists believe that one day a solar storm could severely damage our electrical grid for up to two years. Now imagine that. Knocking out what we call our electrical grid for two years, leaving us in a state of utter confusion, Western civilization. Now this fear is not a far-fetched apocalyptic paranoia that's going around. This concern has a real historical precedent. It has happened, but it happened in a time when we didn't have the infrastructure that we now have. In 1859, a coronal mass ejection overwhelmed the Earth's magnetic field and literally fried telegraph lines all across the country. It's a good thing it happened in 1859. You know, this happened before the days of transistors, microchips, and iPads. An event like the 1859 solar flare could send the iPad generation into a panic and put the Apple Corporation right out of business. It's been known for a long time that the sun goes through an 11-year cycle of activity with sunspots and solar storms. 
solar flares can rattle a satellite every now and then to let us know that the sun is interacting with our world. I mean, it's good things when the astronomers look into their telescopes with a good filter on it, and they see the sun, and there's sunspot activity. Scientists have come to understand that these 11-year cycles grow more intense until what they call a grand maximum is reached that reverses the grand cycle of 11-year cycles. They tell us that the sun has recently passed through one of these grand maximums and we are in store for a period of solar decline. The sun is now in a decline cycle of spot activity. Now what does a solar decline cycle mean? Since the sun is a massive dynamo, it is really too hot to study directly. I don't recommend that you go up there and try it. No one, in fact, has a confident computer model to show just how the future will unfold in this matter. I mean, all the hype about global warming can really be offset by this tremendous power of the solar cycle. But looking to the past, it looks like the sun may enter a time of reduced sunspot activity. And that could lead us all back to a time like the period between 1645 and 1715. During this time, hardly a single sunspot appeared on the surface of the sun. It was the great corrective for the great maximum cycle. That period has been called the Little Ice Age. It was the opposite of global warming. In Europe, the river Thames froze over. Glaciers advanced rapidly all over the world, and it snowed a whole lot more than it should have. The Pilgrim Fathers had some real rough winters. Remember that? How they barely survived? They found themselves right smack in the middle of the problem. And they were calling out to God to help them survive in what we now know was the Little Ice Age. Now who knows what will happen this time around? I don't know. But one thing's for sure. Life is a lot warmer down here on earth when there's activity on the surface of the sun. Dear heart, the vision of Jesus in the book of Revelation begins with the Son of Man, spelled S-O-N, and it ends with the glory of His face that shines like the sun, spelled S-U-N. The book of Revelation, in this book, the Son of Man is the Son of Man, S-U-N. He is the white, hot heat of the manifestation of the love of God. He is that great furnace that powers the love of the universe. He is God's focus to create light and life in a place where there is none. The Son of Man is the light of the world and the glory of the unseen God shines in the face of Jesus Christ. Dear heart, if you came here today and you're trying to make sense out of a dark world with your own human understanding, you will never do it because God has placed in Jesus all the light, all the glory of the unseen God. And in the face of Christ, the beauty of who God is shines to the heart that needs to see the light. When the Son of Man is active in you, When the Son of Man is active for you in heaven, good things happen right here on earth in your life. When the Son of Man is active up there for you, when there is sun activity in the heavenly sanctuary, there is no room for a cold living. There is no room to feel like God's love and warmth is not here. No little ice age in the church when Christ is active for you in the presence of God. The light that shines in the face of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, keeps the cold away. I don't know about you, but I want more of the sun in my heart. What about you? I want the sun of righteousness to shine with healing his wings. I want Jesus, not just ideas about Jesus. I want the truth that lives and breathes and prays for me in the heavenly sanctuary, not just ideas about Jesus in the heavenly sanctuary. The scriptures 
provide a picture of the living Christ, the living Son of Righteousness who lives to warm and gladden a thousand worlds. This morning, God invites us to see the vision of the Son of Man who is the Son of Man, S-U-N, the sun that shines in the darkness to reveal the glory of the unseen God. Turn with me to Revelation 1, verse 12. Here we have the vision of Jesus. The Bible says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden girdle around his breast. His head and his hair were white as wool, white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth issued a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. I mean, when we read these verses, we are looking at an inspired vision of Jesus Christ, a revelation of who Jesus Christ is. The Son of Man, in this context, is the Son of Man, S-U-N. This morning, I'd like to examine every one of these elements in Revelation 1, 12 to 16. I'd like to do some Bible study with you. I'd like to go through every one of these elements and unlock through the study of the Scriptures the picture, the collage of imagery that forms the vision of the Son of Man. The seven lampstands here are identified. In verse 12, John sees seven golden lampstands. The seven lampstands are identified in Revelation 1.20 as the seven churches. So the Son of Man, here he is in a long robe. And the Greek word used here is the same Greek Old Testament translation of the Hebrew Bible for the white garment that the priest wore. So he is dressed in priestly attire, walking in the midst of the seven lampstands representing the seven churches. But he also has a golden girdle. And so in this sense, he completes the imagery of the priest. Exodus 28.4 These are the garments which they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checker work, a turban, and a girdle. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. I mean, Christ is seen in the midst of the seven churches as a priestly figure, a high priestly figure, ministering to his people. The Son of Man appears in Revelation 1.13 as a priest walking in the midst of the seven lampstands. Now, the lampstands represent the seven churches, which in turn represent the universal church for all time. Now, there are some Bible expositors who believe that these seven churches only represent literal local churches at the time of John. Now, when you really study these churches out, you discover that they're partially correct. They do, in fact, represent literal local churches in John's day. But in a sense, they represent the church in every age. When you follow the line of churches from Ephesus to Laodicea, if you interact with the entire book of Revelation, it becomes abundantly clear that these churches represent church ages in which Christ, who walks in the midst of the seven lampstands, cares for his church from the apostolic age to the end of time. The lampstands represent the seven churches, universal church, time and space. And in the vision of the Son of Man, Jesus is pictured as a priest caring for the seven lampstands. The golden girdle suggests the high priest is here. Now in the Old Testament, it was the job of the priest to make sure that the oil did not run out and the light did not grow dim on the lampstand. So Jesus walks in the midst of the lampstands to make sure the light does not go out for the church that must shine in the dark world. And wherever the church is found on the face of planet earth, it is God's will. It is Christ's predetermined will and his 
effort and energy focused upon this, that the church must be a lampstand and nothing less. Now, you know, people have different ideas of what church is about. Some people believe the reason for church is so we can come and feel good about each other. Now, I like feeling good about you. I hope you feel good about me. But there are times I don't feel good about you. There are times we come to church and, frankly, one or two of you irritates me. Pastor, why did you say that here? Well, it's true. I irritate you, too, on occasion. Is that not true? Aren't there times in the church when temperaments flare, when different views of thinking collide? And friend, if you're only coming to church for the warm, fuzzy fix of getting along with other Christians, you're missing the point that in this vision of Jesus, the church is a lampstand. A lampstand gives light, and the light is for reaching out to people who have no light. If our church is not by its very nature by its very vision, by its very identity evangelistic in the sense that it reaches out to find people who do not know Christ, it has abandoned the call of God. John 12, 46, Jesus said, I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in me may not walk in darkness. And because the church belongs to Jesus Christ, his light must shine as the church is in the light, not our light. You know, this little light of mine must be Jesus' light as we sing the song. The light of the church is not the light of human wisdom or human intellect. It's not the light of tradition or church culture. It's not the light of theologians and clerics who think they're clever and more smart than the Bible. It's not the light of righteousness, of a righteous-looking pack of saints trying to look good in the church to make the church look good to others. When the church is the focus of the church, the light grows dim. And so Jesus walks in the midst of the seven lampstands. The light of the church is by design the light of Jesus Christ in the church that shines out. He must become our light to shine in our dark world. Lamp, stand, light comes from the Lamb of God. Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. I mean, if we're trying to hide our faith, if you are indifferent to the needs of those in your community... If you're afraid to bring somebody to church, if you're afraid to reach out to that neighbor who's never heard the truth for fear you don't say it exactly right, you're missing it. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. I'm going to tell you right now, I I know a lot more eloquent people in giving Bible studies. Every time I give Bible studies, I get nervous. I get nervous. There are people who can give better Bible studies than Pastor Mike. You know why I do it? Because I want this little light of mine to shine in a world that needs light. I mean, there are people here that have greater ability and that are blessed with God with spiritual gifts that pulled into play would far outshine the pastor that's standing up here. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a stand it gives light to all in the house. You know, we should be out of the business of selective light sharing. We should be in the business of letting the light shine wherever it can go. Let your light so shine, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your fathers in heaven. You know, when when light shines right, it's not about the church. It's not about the superstar believer. It's about Jesus Christ, the light of the world. In John 8, 12, Jesus proclaimed, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but that person will have the light of life. Lamp light is the light that comes from the Son of Man. So you can't miss it here. S-U-N, Son of Man. 
The Son of Man is a priest in the book of Revelation who is tending the seven lampstands. There are the seven churches ensuring that there is light in the world. He trims the lamps. He makes sure there is oil for the light to shine in the darkness of a world without God. And dear heart, when Christ is intimately interacting with our church, the energy of the church will be released for light to go out. There's more to Jesus, though, in this vision than priest. As we look more carefully in the Bible and here, the Son of Man is a king. In Daniel 7, 13 and 14, the Son of Man, that's the great Son of Man text in the Old Testament. That's the text that all the New Testament draws its energy from when it focuses on Jesus as the Son of Man. Daniel 7, 13. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Now, he's not coming to the earth in this verse. At the end of the Middle Ages, at the end of the four great world empires, after the collapse of the Holy Roman Empire, the last vestiges of the medieval union, the fourth beast comes down, and there is a vacuum in the world for leadership. There is no world sovereign to take the place of the the ugly beast rule of the past. And suddenly he sees one like the Son of Man, and he comes to the Ancient of Days in heaven. God the Father sitting on his celestial chariot throne, a river of fire flowing from it. A sea of stars before him, millions serving him. Thrones are cast down. It is the great event predicted by Jesus himself in Luke 19, 12, a nobleman went into a far-off country to receive his kingdom and then return. And in this heavenly pre-advent judgment, Christ appears in the throne room of the universe before the Ark of the Covenant to do just exactly what he promised. Verse 14, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. I mean, if you're looking to the church as the final destination, you're missing the point. God has raised our church up to point to that kingdom that is coming, to point to the king who shines in all his brilliance and glory, to lead people into a future that will never pass away. And you put it all together right here. The Son of Man is a king who will receive a kingdom in heaven just before the second coming. So in Revelation 1.13, the Son of Man is a priest who cares for the seven churches as he walks in the midst of the lampstands. As a priest king, Jesus stands before God. And he also walks in the midst of the lampstands, which means Jesus is here and Jesus is there. His presence is manifested through his omniscience, his care and concern for the church through the Holy Spirit. But in the presence of God, he sees things from God's perspective and from the perspective that we need here. He sees everything that goes on in the church and he reaches out to save the world through the lampstand. The very first truth we encounter in the book of Revelation in the vision of Jesus is the truth that Jesus is a priest king. You know, when we get down on our knees in the evening and you pray, you should thank God that Jesus is a priest and a king. 
I mean, because he's a priest, he hears your prayer. Because he's a king, he implements an answer to your prayer. And what does that mean in practical terms? It means this. In the Old Testament, a priest was one who took the blood of the sacrifice and prayed for you when you had sinned. He made you look good before God when you made yourself look bad before God. He drew near to God for you to intercede for you when you couldn't get off your knees because you were broken. But in the Old Testament, priests never had the authority to defeat your enemies. Sure, there were times priests did, but they were outside of their authority. The sword was not given to them by office. It was given to the office of the king. He could not fight for you without the king's permission. He could not conquer your enemies without permission. He could not destroy evil in a military kind of way without the king intervening with him. Dear heart, Christ is a priest king because Jesus is both of these truths in your life. He's the one who draws near to God for you so you can experience acceptance. And he's the one who takes his big stick out and he deals out trouble for the troublemakers of your life that would bring your soul down. Friend, to be saved. To be saved, we need a priest king. Not just a priest or a king. A priest king. In the entire history of the Old Testament, the priests belonged to the tribe of Levi and the kings belonged to the tribe of Judah. Never had a priest ruled as a king. There was only one person in the Old Testament who was a priest king. His name was Melchizedek. It means king of righteousness. King of Salem, which means king of peace. No genealogy because he looks to be an eternal being. No beginning of days nor end of days in the record of the Bible. He appears as Abraham's superior. Abraham gives tithes to him. He appears as someone in the Jewish mind that was thought of as an angelic power or a semi-divine being. Some thought he was even Shem, the son of Noah. And the speculation goes on, but in the New Testament, one arises after the order of Melchizedek, whose priesthood is an eternal priesthood, and Jesus Christ takes the title. He was here before Abraham was here. He was there when Moses built the tabernacle in the desert. He was with God's people and for God's people before God's people ever figured it out. The most quoted verse in the New Testament is Psalms 110 verse 1. Take your Bibles and turn with me. Psalms 110 verse 1. A psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. I mean, when those early Christians thought of Jesus Christ who had risen from the dead... When they wanted one verse to encapsulate the Christian faith, this is the verse they chose. It is the most quoted verse in the New Testament. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter rule in the midst of your foes. Do you ever feel like your life's out of control? Like you can't control the health challenge you're facing? Or you can't control that financial earthquake you just went through? or your job coming into a period of decline, or someone gunning for you at work, or something like that. Dear heart, Jesus rules in the midst of your enemies. Christ's authority is manifested for you if you lean on a priest king and you have surrendered your life to God. Notice Psalms 110 verse 4. The Lord has sworn... And will not change his mind. You, speaking of Jesus, are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. Friend, Christ is a priest king who rules in the midst of his enemies. He is the one who will execute judgment and break the power of those who would break you. 
In Revelation 1.9, John was on the island of Patmos, sharing in the tribulation, the kingdom, and the patient endurance of the word of God for the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know, what does that mean? It means he was in trouble. He was in deep trouble, and he didn't know how to get out of that trouble. And so we see that Christ appears to him as the Son of Man, as a priest king, one who can intercede for him, and one who can directly meet his needs to solve his trouble. Dear heart, if you're in trouble, and you're calling out to God, and you have surrendered your will and faith, asking God to take over the brokenness of your life, but if you're trying to manage your life without that kind of surrender, you can't really get there because we, it takes full surrender by a choice of faith. But if you do that, Christ comes to you to address your trouble just like he did then. In Revelation 1.14, Jesus is more than the Son of Man. In Daniel 7.13, the Son of Man comes before the Ancient of Days to receive his kingdom. In Daniel 7, 9, the Ancient of Days sits upon a chariot throne of fire, and millions of angels serve him, and there are thrones around his throne. In Daniel 7, the Ancient of Days is the king, and the Son of Man is the prince who receives his kingdom from the Ancient of Days. God the Father, in the context, is the Ancient of Days, and Jesus is the Son of Man. Now, in Revelation 1.14, Jesus' hair is white like wool, just like the Ancient of Days who has hair in Daniel 7.9. Go back to Daniel. Look at verse 9. Look at the hair of the Ancient of Days. As I looked, thrones were placed, and one that was Ancient of Days took his seat. His raiment was white as snow. And what about his hair? What does it say? The hair of his head was like what? Like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. Now go to Revelation 1.14 and compare it. His, meaning Christ's head, and his hair were white as white wool, white as snow. Do you see the similarity, yes or no? Well, that will conclude the first portion of The Son of Man. Today's Reaching Your Heart. It is available for you online at reachingyourheart.com. And don't forget, you can visit us at the church for the worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock. We'd love to have you there. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart.